0: listen to nba dna with hannah storm on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your
3: podcasts if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix
4: and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship.
3: Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back.
5: And we are back crossover nba podcast chris mannix and howard beck
4: what up beck what up mannix i'm uh i feel like i'm still recovering from the uh the uh drunken binge fest that was the trade deadline um have you recovered i'm still like i feel like i'm still dizzy from it all i mean i I didn't have much to recover from like you're you're working a lot during (laughs) that
5: but i mean i was you know I, the people I respect in these moments are Woj Shams, the two guys that are, you know, just going, reporting on Kevin Durant at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, the day before the trade deadline. That's wacky. Uh, but it definitely was was interesting. I encourage people to go listen to the two-part Megapod we did with Rowan Ed Carney and Chris Herring. Uh, one of those episodes is on our podcast feed. The other one is on the Open Floor feed. We got into... All the trade deadline machinations. One deal we didn't get to touch on, Howard, because it did have uh, a bit of a wrinkle over the weekend. That was the four-team deal that involved uh, Gary Payton II going from Portland to Golden State. Now, this was a multi-team deal. Payton went from Portland to Golden State. Golden State sent James Wiseman out to Detroit Um but the key player in all this was Gary Payton, who Golden State really wanted because they knew that they needed something, some kind of veteran help off their bench in order to uh you know really make a run in this postseason if they're gonna do it at all. So they get Gary Payton, and then we find out in the immediate aftermath that Payton could have an abdominal issue that the Warriors at least believe that Golden State was or that. Portland was hiding. Uh, there were reports about Tordal that uh, Peyton may have been taking. First it was shots, now it was oral. Oral Tordal is... That's like a powerful Tylenol. Like, that's much better than an injection. So that needed to be clarified for sure. Um, but it's this trade is, as we record this, going to go through. Um, Gary Payton will be a warrior. I don't know how long he's going to have to be out for. But uh, it, it definitely bothered... People in Golden State and Howard talking to a few people around the league. It bothered them, too. Like there's kind of an honor code here that if you have a guy and he's dealing with an injury, you fully disclose that injury before you agree to trade him. And Golden State, at least, did not believe they had all the information regarding Gary Payton's injury. So what was your kind of read on you know, how this all kind of blew up a little over the weekend?
4: I mean, first things first, it's not just a matter of like decorum or courtesy. The NBA has rules about injury disclosure when you're making trades. And there's a certain amount of transparency that is required. And it certainly seems like, at least from the Warriors' side of this, they believe that the Blazers were not transparent. You and I don't have all the information that will be necessary to determine that. The NBA will have all that information, however. And so at some point, uh, I'm sure we will hear a result of that. There will be an investigation. The NBA will collect all the information that they can get, including a lot of stuff that the public can't be privy to because of HIPAA laws, medical privacy laws. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into this from Gary Payton's side of it, from the Blazers' side, from the Warriors' side. Eventually, we'll know. Um, and if the Blazers did in fact withhold critical information that compromised the Warriors' position in this trade, which they've you know they've since accepted the trade, we'll get into that in a second. But you know, you do have to have these checks and balances and some accountability. And so, if the if the league determines the Blazers withheld anything that they sh- shouldn't have. Um, they could dock them picks. They could find them. There, there, are, there are mechanisms to, to deal with it. Until then, I feel like you and I and the public don't know enough to know exactly what happened here. Other than I will say this, the Warriors aren't just randomly <laughs> randomly trying to cast aspersions. That's silly. I've seen some people kind of intimate that. Like, why? Why would they do that? They wanted Gary Payton II. The they wanted him because they know he's really a, a very valuable role player and defender and a guy who was a critical piece of their championship run last spring. Um, they're obviously disappointed that he's not fully healthy. They're not making this up out of thin air. So I don't understand some of the like pushback from the Portland side of like, well, you know, the warriors are somehow the ones creating some kind of like, you know, uh, you know, manufactured controversy. Like if he's healthy, they would, they would just say he's healthy and play him. They want to play him clearly. That's why they acquired him. I still believe they made the right deal in, in, in terms of if not the trade itself, they really had no choice at the end. Right. You're not going to undo a four-team trade. That's after the trade deadline. Now you have no options. Now Weissman comes back, and there's a whole awkward situation there. And Sadiq Bey goes back to Detroit, and the Hawks lose. Everybody loses out. It's a disaster. And on top of that, you know, they got Peyton for the for the present they hoped, and maybe they'll get him this season. But for the future also. He's under contract for at least one more year, then a player option. He's had a good number. Um, he could be really helpful for their team regardless. So it's it's it makes sense to stick with it. But I will say this, if this all happened two weeks ago or two weeks before the trade deadline, and then you have this kind of medical hitch come up, you you might be rescinding the trade and sending Weissman somewhere else for somebody else, or maybe you're just keeping Sadiq Bay instead of redirecting him in a four-team deal. So it does materially hurt the Warriors' ability to contend this season, potentially, if Peyton doesn't get healthy in time for the playoffs. So the Blazers
5: we're getting five first uh, five second round picks in in that trade which was like you know christmas at mike schmidt's house you know for for all the <laughs> second round picks that he was getting there um i have a feeling and it's more educated guessing right now but i have a feeling that they'll lose some of those picks that whatever the end result of the trade was golden state will get a couple of them back because of all this that seems like a you know reasonable solution if it turns out that portland was not transparent in disclosing this injury uh, i heard a lot of people suggest that all right well you know all these wings now on the market danny green terrence ross a bunch of guys that were getting bought out maybe maybe the warriors would want to void that deal so they could keep wiseman around and go out and get someone comparable to gary payton that that was never my understanding is that was never really realistic for golden state number 1 Part of the reason they like Gary Payton is that he played there last year. So, it should be a pretty seamless transition yeah. back into this Warriors system. Number 2, they moved off Wiseman for a reason. Like Wiseman has a player or team option for next year at $12 million. That may not seem like a lot, at least for an NBA team, but Golden State's in the position where like every dollar they spend it's it costs them like 20 in the luxury tax. It's a massive payment that's coming. So, by moving off this Wiseman contract, they saved themselves a bundle of money in terms of long-term deals. So the idea of bringing Wiseman back and going out and doing what it took to bring in Terrence Ross or Danny Green or whoever might be out there uh, to play a backup role. That was this never, uh, never ultimately uh, realistic. So look, I'm curious to see how injured Peyton is. Look, he had abdominal surgery last summer. He missed the first 35 games of this year. He's played since early January. He just played 22 minutes against Golden State the other night. But, uh, you know, if the Warriors are that concerned that he may miss some time, you know, that may be certainly a factor for the rest of the regular season and depending on how he bounces back uh, in the playoffs. But I'm with you. I don't think that this was always kind of what the end result was going to be. And the Warriors will kick the can down the road. The NBA will deal with this at some point. They'll do a more thorough investigation. But because, you know, time is is of the essence. Uh, this was really all that they were, were ultimately going to
4: do. Yeah. So. And, and, and I will just say um, again, the, the thing we'll never know is what would have happened if this trade had been long before the trade deadline, if they had actual time to clean up the mess where it's like, if it were that concerning, you know, the, the idea that they let the trade go through, people should not interpret that as the warriors are fine with it or it's some concession. They clearly decided it's too much trouble to undo the trade at this stage. They can't retrade Weissman now because the trade deadline has passed. Like they're making the best of a bad situation and making sure that the league understands that there's a problem here as they see it. Um, So we'll never know, you know, what would have happened if this had happened a couple weeks ago and they had had time to rescind the trade and do something else. I I have to believe, given how strongly the Warriors are making uh, this into a case, they would have made a different trade. Like, that, that's the bottom line, and, and so this does, it hurts them a little bit. Um, while we've been talking a couple tweets out of um, Warriors' availabilities today, C.J. Holmes from the San Francisco Chronicle says uh, Bob Myers notes that there are things he can't disclose because of legal reasons, uh, but also that uh, Gary Payton's going to be reevaluated in a month, and the hope is to have him back for the playoffs. So, you know, this this may pan out for them okay if, if Payton can make the, uh, the postseason, or at least if the Warriors can last long enough in the postseason for him to get back. Blazers are really interesting team, aren't they? Like,
5: I think we talked about them a little bit on the pod last week, but like, does that that franchise just feels ambitionless? You know, like the Blazers. yeah, Yeah, like it's like their main objective is to be as competitive as possible with Damian Lillard in uniform, but not really have a pathway to winning a championship. Like, they're bad this year. And you can't point to injury issues. Like, Lillard has been largely healthy. Jeremy Grant has been healthy. Like, I think their top six or seven guys have have played somewhere in the neighborhood of 40-plus games. You know, like, this, this is not a situation where Portland can point to one guy being out, and that's why they're struggling. And, you know, I, I just... I don't see... I don't see how this is... And I don't want to make this all a conversation about Damian Lillard and his future because Dame's look. Dame doesn't complain about this stuff. Like he, he signed his contract extension, and every time somebody asks him about his future in Portland, he's some version of ten toes in with the Blazers. But I mean, like, is is there a more ambitionless franchise in the NBA? Right yeah, the now? Wizards. Like, I, <laughs> well, no, but like the Wizards. Like, I think they're crazy. Like, I think their plan is stupid. Right? Like, I don't. Th- I don't believe that some combination of Bradley Beal, uh, Kyle Kuzma, and Chris S. Porzingis is going to win you anything, right? Like, But, no. I mean, like, Tommy Shepard in that front office, for whatever reason, like, th- that's at least a modicum of ambition. Like, the Blazers... Yeah, right, yeah they go got Jeremy Grant, and and he's he's a good player, but, I mean, he's extension eligible, right? Or he's, he could be a free agent, and he didn't sign an extension yet, so yeah. there's a chance you could lose him for nothing. I just, I don't know what the game plan in Portland is except to, you know, keep Damien Lillard in that uniform, keep him happy playing in that uniform and then, you know, build a statue for him, you know, 10 years from now after his career is retired. So, oh yeah, look, I yeah, like it, I said, I don't want to make this a big Blazers, Lillard well, referendum because we do this all the time. Like will Lillard get traded? Well, he, he doesn't want to be, at least he's not saying so. And the Blazers have shown no inclination of, of doing so. Uh,
4: But I I just, I see no pathway to relevancy with that team. And to your point um, about, you know, them being sort of on the treadmill of mediocrity, which is funny because I believe that phrase was coined by Kevin Pritchard, who's now obviously executive with the Pacers, but he was with the Blazers years and years ago when I think he coined the term treadmill of mediocrity while he was, I think, still with the Blazers, not referring to himself or his own franchise at the time, by the way, um, but they're on the treadmill. The mere fact of trading Josh Hart, who was a very good role player for them, traded him to the Knicks and on the same day acquiring Matisse Thybul. Like, okay, fine, you offloaded one defender and you got another defender and like I I but what do you what did what did what did that series of transactions where did it get them? What did it move the ball forward at all? Did it does it chart a better course in any on any level? I, I don't like it's fine. Thibault's fine. Josh Hart's really good. Um, like I, I don't, I don't know exactly what the uh, the mission was there that they that they were trying to accomplish. Um, so yeah, uh, there there are a handful of franchises every year and some in perennial uh, fashion where you look at them and go, I just don't know what you're doing. And Washington has always been there. Orlando was there for years. They finally seem to have caught some traction by, you know, just being in the lottery every year. And eventually you get some good players. Yeah. Um, But that's,
5: that's a strategy. Like one thing I think about with Portland is like, you know, before Danny Ainge took that job in Utah, he was rumored to be in the mix for the head job in Portland. And if Danny Ainge had taken over that team, Damian Lillard would be a Laker or a warrior or something other than a Portland trailblazer, because, he wouldn't have kept that group together and just kind of tread water as long as they have. Um, you know, I, I respect keeping your star in uniform, but if you're a fan of the team, like what, what are you supporting at this point? Like what what is what is the end game here? I just don't see it. I don't see yeah. what the end game is here, and it it just it's kind of maddening because I I really do believe that you either have to be on a path to being really good or on a path to being really bad, and the Blazers are on neither.
4: No, that's the treadmill of mediocrity. And this is a new front office, right? This is Joe Cronin's first full season in charge. And, you know, if if there was a sense that they had gotten stale and directionless under Neil O'Shea before— Neil O'Shea never wanted to break up the the Lillard McCollum backcourt. Credit to Joe Cronin for being the one to decide to do that. And I thought he made a, a decent deal. Um there was a lot that that they were just kind of like stuck in place because O'Shea was was really confident in, in his own path and the guys that he had gotten, and he didn't want to break it up and he didn't want to change course. So I think Joe Cronin initially makes some moves to try to to kind of establish a different direction here, or at least course correct, while still keeping Dame Lillard. But yeah, right now this is starting to feel like a, you know, more of the same. And, and yeah, again, if you're a Blazers fan, what are you, what is it you're rooting for? Um, is there a path here to get a second star next to Dame ever? Because if there's not, then, then what are you holding on to, And you know, that, you know, in that regard, it feels like same as it ever was, you know,
1: attention all wrestling aficionados wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season.
0: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: All right, I want to talk about the Mavericks and the early sample size we have of the Kyrie and Luka Doncic experiment. Kyrie has been a Maverick for three games. They're two and one in those games, beat the Clippers without Luka, which was pretty impressive. Like, that was a close-to-full-strength Clippers team that they beat. And then they go to Sacramento and split two games there. Uh, Kyrie's been really good, something like 26 points, you know, seven assists, he's shooting 43% from three-point range, so he's off to a good start. Luka's only played in, what, one of those games, I one, think? against the last yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, the last game against Sacramento. Ironically, they lost. Um, yeah. I, I got to tell you, Howard, I-, I kind of expected this. Like, I expected Kyrie to play well. Because Kyrie's playing for a contract. And Kyrie knows that the only way he gets the deal he was looking for in Brooklyn is if he plays, out of his mind, the Mavericks play above expectations and he doesn't do things like tweet out anti-Semitic films. Like, those are the only ways that Kyrie's going to get that contract. So this is about what I expected. I I mean, I'd like to see what they look like. And they play two good teams, two playoff teams. But, like, let's see what they look like against top-tier teams in the Western Conference after Luca gets back. I still don't know enough about how this this tandem is going to work.
4: It's way too soon. It's way too soon. And you know, the first couple of games, the first, you know, sometimes weeks of games, when you've got two stars who have never played together, especially when they are both primary ball handler types, it takes, you know, some time for them to figure it out. They'll usually they'll be over deferential, right? Usually it's everybody wants to show how unselfish they are and how welcoming they are and, and how we're gonna we're gonna make this work. So I'm gonna be the one to keep passing and then sometimes that goes to an extreme right where nobody wants to to dominate the ball too much um i thought they looked pretty good together the other night but it's one game um they did lose the game in overtime but you know the kings are a good team and um and that was on the road so I, there's nothing there's no conclusion to draw yet um other than it looks like josh green is now the third best maverick <laughs> like we were talking I love about these. being this, this this i love how <laughs> i do love
5: and I forget if we said this last week. I apologize if I keep kind of forgetting. We did a lot of podcasts last week. But I forget, you know, I, I love this time of year, the week after the post trade deadline or post big trades, when it's all about like, hey man, we held on to this guy. Remember in uh <laughs> oh uh in Minnesota, like we held on to Jaden McDaniels. Like, mm. we didn't deal him. That was a big win. Now it's like Josh Green is the man. And look, he played well, good player, but I'm I'm not quite ready to jump on board the victory lap that there seems to be with Josh Green playing.
4: He's looking guys. really good. I mean, that's he's good,
5: the thing. but let's let's again
4: time yeah, playoffs yes, wins. absolutely absolutely. Um, it's worth noting though, not just for the the, the like oh well, you know we were smart not to trade him to Brooklyn and in, in the Kyrie deal. It's not even just that or or justifying you know drafting him ahead of what was he ahead of Desmond Bain and some others, um, yeah. and so it. It, not just that, I just, it's more to me. It's about if the Mavericks are going anywhere, like just having Luka and Kyrie in the backcourt as, as maybe the best offensive backcourt in the league isn't enough. It's That's never enough. You need a third player to pop. You need some defense. You need other things to, to work in your favor. And if Josh Green is starting to become like a serious force for them, it's worth noting. That's all. Um, yeah, it's early. We'll see. Um, one game with the two of them is not enough to figure out, you know, to determine uh, how well they're fitting together, what it'll be like in crunch time, night in, night out, um, what the usage rates, you know, shot selection, all that looks like. We'll see. But we already knew this. We knew that Luca was one of the best offensive forces in the game, period, uh, as a passer and, and shooter and, and creator. And we knew that Kyrie is one of the, you know, most creative scorers we've ever seen in this league, period. It it should be explosive. Whether they can play enough defense to contend is going to be the question. Who do you think?
5: Let me, let me ask you this question: Who do you think had or made the biggest risk at the trade deadline, Dallas or Phoenix? Because you know, in last, over the weekend I was reading some local papers, and the, I don't know if you read the column Phil Boas of the uh, Arizona Republic wrote that the trade involving Kevin Durant was the worst trade in Arizona sports history. I love it. I love <laughs> wow. it. I love the hot take. I did not I see that, take. but wow. It was a great column. Like, and and But look, it was a great column. It may have been hyperbolic, you know, just saying. But he did cite references that Arizona sports teams have made some big-time mistakes over the years. But, he, look, he makes salient points that, you know, if this doesn't go right this year and next year, you know, you're stuck with a 36-year-old Kevin Durant, uh, Chris Paul probably gone, you know, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are still there, but you don't have any draft picks to to build a team around you. Like, this is a, you know, they're rolling the dice here. It's not to say I wouldn't have done it because it was pretty clear that the team they had wasn't winning a championship. Probably wasn't even getting out of the second round. But yeah. it doesn't take away the risk that they are taking here because if their injuries, and these guys are injury prone, Durant, Paul, Booker, Injury prone players, muscle type injury prones. If they lose one of these guys for any stretch of time at or near the playoffs, there goes this year. And then next year might be the last year you could probably pull one off with this group. I just, I tend to agree with uh, our uh, Arizona Republic colleague that uh,
4: <laughs> this was this is a pretty damn risky deal to, to make. No, no, listen. In the wake of a deal, we usually. uh the part we overreact to is the fireworks, right? Oh my gosh, the Phoenix Suns got Kevin Durant. Or, you know, um, when the Nets got Durant and Kyrie or what, you know, any deals, you know, the, the Clippers getting Kawhi and Paul Gers, like we're, we get excited about a, a team forming a super team or even putting two big stars together because of what the, what does it mean for them? Can they compete? Uh, can they contend at the highest level? Um, and we often don't focus as much on the price of getting the guy, right? We, we, we now are already in a, in a time where three and a half years later, we're wondering, gee, should the, should the Clippers really have been all in on the Kawhi Paul George thing? And would they be better off if they had kept Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, would like you start second guessing these things after the fact, because the risk, even though we can assess it in the moment of the trade, you don't really see the downside until things don't go the way you wanted them to. Right. We're at the point now where the Clippers have gone long enough without a payoff that you start to wonder, would you have been better off just keeping Shea Gilgis-Alexander and not making uh, this this massive swing? And the Suns right now, the first thing is, are they contenders in the West? And as you know, I'm kind of like, listen, pump the brakes a little. They are a contender in the West. I don't think they are the overwhelming favorite. Um, we have to see a lot go right first. And there's only going to be 20 or so games with Kevin Durant in the lineup before the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, the downside risk, I mean, is... is considerable. I mean, Ford first round picks unprotected, a pick swap, um, you know, sent out a couple of really good players. And, you know, Mikael Bridges could be a future defensive player of the year. And yeah, if it all goes awry, as you point out, and it's the right thing to point out, Kevin Durant's going to be 35 later this year. He's still and forever will be an Achilles reconstruction patient that has implications for his health. And Chris Paul's really freaking old. And like I, we don't know what the window is for this team. I, I, it doesn't mean it's the wrong move. And I want to say this too. No. Like, yeah. If they if they if they don't win a championship, they go to the finals and they lose. They go to the conference finals and they lose. Whatever it may be, the if you've got a chance to 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 get one of the greatest players in history while still playing at a, at a high level, right? I'm not saying getting you know end of his career Tracy McGrady or end of his career Paul Pierce. I don't I don't mean like those. Kevin Durant is is one of the you know whatever. 10 15 best players in NBA history. If you can get him while he's still performing at an all NBA level and you have the players around him to make a run, then you do it. But it's a it, it there is a massive massive amount of risk here based on all the components they put in this deal. And um I admire it and you know, look, if you were I let's let's put it this way. If you were New Suns owner Matt Ishbia, if you were Sons president James Jones, would you do this deal exactly as it as it went down?
5: Uh, yeah. And every executive that I talked to about the deal in the aftermath said they would do it or would have done it themselves, but they acknowledge the massive risk on the back end. Like it really is like a two-year window to yep. win a championship like yeah. with this team. If yeah. they don't, you're gonna have a lot of, or at least one, if not two, if Chris Paul's still around, really aging pieces and that's often not as much as kevin durant seems to defy time what he's playing yeah i'm not gonna bet right now that at 36 years old he's gonna be kevin durant
4: that's that's a lot to bet on he 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 misses a third of every season that has been the case since he came back from the achilles he misses about a third of every season so that means also however this season goes down maybe you win a championship this june and at that point you just say you know what doesn't even matter what happens from here. We got a championship. That's the point of the exercise. The Raptors were perfectly happy to get one championship out of Kawhi. Maybe Durant helps them win a championship in a couple months from now, and everything that comes after that doesn't matter. But if they don't win a championship this June, next season, count on Kevin Durant missing about a third of the season. Count on Chris Paul missing about a third of the season. Um... And they make the playoffs next year. Okay, there's your next shot at maybe winning a championship. Well, if it doesn't happen by then, now you're getting to the point where it really is like a, not even a two-year window, it's like a 2 postseason window. This, season, this spring and next spring. And after that, you're, you're, you're so far on the downside with your older players that it, it would be really tough. I will say this is a last thought on it, though. From the moment they got Chris Paul, I always thought, what are they going to do when Chris Paul starts to fall off? Because he's such a key to their entire rebirth. The Suns were nothing until Chris Paul got there, despite Devin Booker, despite DeAndre Ayton, despite Mikael Bridges. They were going nowhere until Chris Paul arrived. He pulled this thing together and got them to the next level. When he can't play anymore, or if he erodes further, when he retires, whatever it is, I wondered what they would do. You don't just go out and find another Chris Paul to galvanize your team. Um, But Durant helps extend that at least a little bit and takes some of the pressure off Chris Paul. Uh, But it also does mean, yeah, now instead of one guy... Who is, you know, maybe a couple of years away from retirement at any given time. Now you got two.
5: Uh, they were undefeated in the bubble, Howard. Uh, I don't think Chris Paul had anything to do with it. Like, that team was <laughs> rolling before Chris Paul got there. Uh, you know what worries me about the Suns this season is that, you know, I, I think they're going to rely on buyout guys. Like, they're already, you know, locked in Terrence Ross. He's going to head there. Ross is a good player, uh, but I think they'll probably get somebody else in the next couple of days. And anytime you kind of have to rely on guys that get cut loose, it generally doesn't work. Uh, so there's just too many moving parts for me to 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 bet that Phoenix is is the front runner at least in the Western Conference uh this year. Um all right. I want to talk a little bit about Brooklyn and I I watched the game they played against the 76ers the other night and that was kind of what I'm expecting from Brooklyn for the rest of this season where they can play gr- like they've got good defenders, they can play great on both ends, but when it comes time to get a bucket they don't got that guy anymore. <laughs> like they got stifled in the last 6 minutes of of that 76ers game and uh you know, Spencer Dinwiddie did make a big shot or almost made a big shot to send the game to overtime, but they just didn't have anyone they could turn to to be a reliable scorer. That's kind of going to be I think what they are the rest of the year. They can still hold on to a playoff spot. I think that's still definitely possible because they can defend, but and they are going to play with a lot of energy, but I think in close games they're going to have a lot of problems because they don't have that guy. Like and I don't think of this group, anyone's going to ultimately emerge. Now, I am curious to get your take on, like, there's a lot of palace intrigue with, you know, what the Nets were. You had Kyrie talking about stuff going on behind the scenes when he went to Dallas, saying he was glad that Kevin Durant got out of there, you know, kind of bad-mouthing the Brooklyn situation on the way up the door. Uh, James Harden, in his first appearance in Brooklyn, uh, alluded to a level of dysfunction, said there was a lot of dysfunction in Brooklyn. He said there were a lot of, quote, internal things that I'm not going to ever just say, put in the media or anything, and that was one of the reasons why I chose to make my decision uh, to leave, end quote. So, are we ever thinking going to find out, like, what was going on behind the scenes in Brooklyn? Like, uh, on the surface, it looked like, Sean Marks put together a pretty talented team. Like, he got Kevin Durant. He got James Harden. He got Kyrie Irving. You can say he gave up too much for James Harden. Yeah, fine. You could say he should have gone out and gotten James Harden in the first place. They'd be better off with Jared Allen and the other piece they had to let go to get James Harden. But, I don't know, man. Like, maybe we'll learn in a book, like, five, ten years later. Maybe there'll be a great TikTok piece written, you know, next year. But, I'm just, I'm fascinated to know what the hell was going on behind the scenes that bothered Kyrie Irving and bothered James Harden so much. Like, to me, it looked like Kyrie didn't get what he wanted contractually, so he asked out. And we know that, that we believe that to be true in part, because a week before he asked for a trade, his agent slash stepmother went to Chris Haynes and said, we want to be in Brooklyn long term. Like, it's the ball's in the Nets court. So, he didn't get what he wanted, and he asked out. And Harden, to my eyes... Seemingly, just got annoyed with Kyrie Irving. Like that, he just, you know, he was part of that team last year when Kyrie was in and out of the lineup, and Harden just decided, you know what, screw it, I don't want to do this anymore. So, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not going to sit here and blindly defend ownership, Sean Marks, that front office, because I do think they made some mistakes. I said from jump, Steve Nash was not the right guy. I was anti Nash all the way throughout. I thought they were trying to be too cute and too smart when they hired Steve Nash. They should have either stuck with Jock Vaughn. Or gone with somebody else with more experience, but if that's the only mistake they made, I I, I don't get it. I I, some of it uh, uh, responsibility at some point has to fall the players, doesn't it? Like I'm, I'm very curious to see what Kevin Durant says when he's finally introduced in Phoenix if he has anything to say about the the behind the scenes stuff that apparently was going on in uh, Brooklyn.
4: KD's not real big on airing things out. He doesn't have that same level of just like jaundiced whatever that that like Kyrie does. Like Kyrie wants to, Kyrie wants to kill the Nets. That's clear. I don't. I'm not sure that Kevin Durant cares one way or the other about that stuff. KD never seemed all that. I know he asked for the trade last summer and all that stuff, but. There were a lot of things I think that were going into that that weren't about like, oh, the, the, the nets are off the rails. And again, i I've made the point a hundred times and I'll make it again. If Kevin Durant really thought that Sean Marks and Steve Nash were that bad, he could have asked for them to be fired back in April, May, or June, July. And he didn't do that until August because he was using that as his last get out of jail free card to try to force the trade. And they still called his bluff on that. And he still came back. Steve Nash eventually was fired, but that was because of results, not because of anything else. Um, Sean Marks has made certainly plenty of mistakes. Joe Tsai, the owner, has made plenty of mistakes. A lot of those mistakes, if we're going to like catalog them, had to do with deferring too much to the stars. So if James Harden or Kyrie or even KD want to say there was a problem with the way things were run, it's because they were catering too much to those guys and gave up the culture that had been so great, so valued that the entire league was praising the Nets for how great a culture they'd built the first few years under Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson from 2016 to 2019— all of which went out the door when they signed Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and their buddy DeAndre Jordan who was foisted on them by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving so those are the kind, like if you want to criticize management and ownership, it was doing things like signing DeAndre Jordan to a ridiculous contract and then being forced to start him ahead of Jared Allen because it's what your stars wanted and allowing the stars to dictate Um, Kevin Durant certainly had a voice in hiring Steve Nash, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving certainly had a voice in the firing of Steve Nash um They've had, you know, Kyrie Irving was the one who said, we don't even need a coach. We're all coaches. Then Kyrie Irving said, we're a management team. And when they were eliminated from the playoffs last year by the Celtics, after they were swept and Kyrie set up there saying, well, you know, me and Sean and Joe and KD, we're going to straighten this thing out as if he's part of management. Like Kyrie has no credibility. Can we just like, we should just start there. Yes. Kyrie is casting aspersions now that he's safely in Dallas, but Kyrie has no credibility one, because he is the source of about 75 to 80% of the angst around this team the last couple of years. All the dysfunction, him not being available, had a massive influence on James Harden wanting out. So when Harden is alluding to stuff, without naming names or saying specifics, a lot of that that is Kyrie Irving, because the Nets didn't handle that well either. Again, it's Kyrie's fault he wasn't eligible, but the Nets said, well, we're not going to play him at all. Then when they got desperate, they're like, oh, uh, I guess we're going to play him for road games at least um so they were inconsistent they were all over the map um they were even inconsistent in the way that they handled Kyrie's posting of the anti-semitic film first they didn't do anything they didn't even want to name him in a press release when they tried to distance themselves from what he had done like they have been all over the map so i'm not going to absolve the nets management of anything but when it comes to the nets failures over the last few years and the reason that all these stars are somewhere else it's mostly because of the stars and Kyrie more than any of them and the, the thing that, that I think is the most ludicrous of all the things that Kyrie has done or said in the wake of this is, oh, I want it out after year one. Well, you tried to get an extension that they wouldn't give you. So you clearly were willing to sign on for more years. And that was last summer. And then you could have opted out and gone free agency, but you didn't. You opted in and stayed. And then your agent was trying to get an extension, which, as you point out, Chris, she went public and said, we want this extension and the ball's in the Nets court. So- if you'd gotten the extension, you'd still be in Brooklyn. How could you then say, "I wanted out after year one," and I'm glad Katie got out? And there's such a mess. You kept trying to stay. You kept saying publicly you wanted to stay. Um, like it, it's it's so disingenuous. To the second he's traded, then turn around and make it sound as if like the Nets are at fault for everything. When he was clearly trying to get an extension, trying to stay, doing everything possible to get that extension. You could even hear it in some of the stuff he said. He goes. I did what I was supposed to do. KD was out and they're still in fourth place because of me. Well, they were like four and seven or whatever the record was. I don't have it in front of me while KD was out and Kyrie was leading them. They didn't exactly blow the league away with just Kyrie leading them. He did play very well during that stretch. And it's clear by the way he said that he was hoping the reward for keeping them afloat was and, and playing well and being quiet and not saying anything else outrageous or making any problems. He thought the reward would be, I'm going to get that extension that they didn't want to give me last year because they said I was too too much of a destabilizing element or whatever they would have said. He thought, I've behaved myself. I've been a good citizen. I've played well. I should get that max extension. And when the Nets balked, that's when he's offended. And when he starts saying things like the disrespect and this and that, that's what he means. He means they weren't giving him a max deal. Well, guess what, Kyrie Irving? No one in the NBA wants to give you a max deal for max years and max money. No one. And he'll find that out again this summer.
5: Yep. Uh, And as far as the Nets go, you know, keeping Mikael Bridges is a good move. He is a tremendous young player who has a chance to be an all-star in the next couple of years because of the role he's going to get with the Nets. But if they turn around and decide to trade him this summer, you know, it's pretty clear you can get three first-round picks back in exchange for him. And that's more draft capital for Sean Marks to build the team um in a more organic way so we'll, we'll see yeah
4: look let me let me do a couple of quick quick hit observations on the nets right now just before we leave this this topic um they've already been comparing this team to like the pre-Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving version right when they had Spencer Dinwiddie the first time and Joe Harris and Jared Allen and Karis LeVert and all these guys this is actually a much better version of what they had in from 16 through 19 right like this is the the, the top level talent. Um, you know, is, is it's, it's higher. It's just simply higher. Um, also they have a ton of picks like, yes, their own picks are out the door to Houston, but you look at, they've got the four picks from the sun's coming plus a swap plus a Dallas first rounder plus two Philly first rounders. So that's what seven extra picks. And while the Rockets do quote unquote control the nets drafts for the next several years, some of those are swaps, which may or may not happen. And the, the, the Suns still have picks to use those years. Even if there is a swap, then they're, they've they simply got the Rockets pick instead of their own. Um, they have a ton of draft capital and Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, the ghost of Ben Simmons, <laughs> Nick Claxton, uh, Utah Watanabe. Like they just have a lot of really good, useful players, including a ton of those guys that just named are good 3 and D guys, good perimeter defenders. They could they are arguably in the driver's seat or a ha- among the handful of teams that if a, a, a the next disgruntled superstar becomes available tomorrow, the nets have the combination of picks and players to do it and still have a good supporting cast in place for that player to play with. So they're actually in very good shape and in better shape than they were when Mark's first arrived in, uh, in 2016. So, uh, very curious to see where it goes very curious to see in the off season uh what kind of moves they might be making with some of those players and picks and in the meantime as you said they're going to be good they're going to be competitive they'll lose close games because they don't have a guy to create uh in a tight game um spencer dinwiddie almost got that shut off in time um and and he could do some things and we've seen him with as a good clutch player before uh pr- you know his previous time in brooklyn for one um but they're going to be interesting, um, and, and they're they're well-positioned to recover quickly this time.
5: Let's just hire Kenny Atkinson and just pretend
4: the last six years didn't happen. Be like, you know, Kenny, we got
5: another young team here, needs developing. Close your eyes, and let's take out on one of those men in black or open your eyes, take out on one of those men in black things and zap it <laughs> and pretend the last six years. You, you've been the coach this entire time, Kenny, and now you're making more money. We'll give you more money. As an apology, Uh, we'll we'll see where the Nets go.
1: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye.
0: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Real quick, I want to ask you about the Lakers. Because I felt like I was alone on an island for a while, Howard, thinking the Lakers had a good trade deadline. Like I wrote it on SI.com. I talked about it here on this podcast and on the two podcasts we did last week. Um, I just was a believer that they got the right pieces around them. And look, as we record this, they've only won one game in a row. That was a decent road win in Golden State. But they play in Portland on Monday night. See what happens there. The Blazers are mediocre team, but they're one of those mediocre teams right in front of them in the standings. So that's a winnable game. Then LeBron is scheduled to come back on Wednesday against the zombie you know, Pelicans. Then you get the all-star break, which presumably will give LeBron AD, some of the guys there time to heal their various injuries. You go into the unofficial second half of the season, which is really like 25, 30 games, but you go into the second half of the season with healthy LeBron, healthy AD, bunch of shooters. Like I'm telling you, like if let's say they win the next two games and they're going into the all-star break with a three game winning streak, hovering around like the 10 seed, you know, right in that range, which is possible. Uh they're going to make the playoffs. They will. If they're healthy in the second half of the season, they are going to make the playoffs. And you'll never convince me that, you know, Memphis, Denver, uh, any of the top-tier teams that are going to finish one through four want any part of them. Like, that'll be the team they want the least if they get in the first round. There could be some good teams in the bottom half of the playoff bracket, including the Clippers. But the Lakers, if they're healthy with those shooters, I mean, look at that Golden State game. Like you saw D'Angelo Russell play well, he clearly is a much better fit with this Laker team than Russell Westbrook was. You got Jared Vanderbilt coming off the bench, doing Jared Vanderbilt things: high energy, rebounding, second chance opportunities. Like he was everywhere on that floor. Like that was a good trade for the Lakers. We cannot let what is that phrase? Don't let uh, perfect, perfect be an the, obstacle. Uh, yeah, the yeah, enemy an of the good, an enemy of the good, something like whatever. Yeah, Some blanking, like that. but. um, that's what the, that's the situation. Like, they didn't get the superstar. They didn't get Bradley Beal. But you know what? They're pretty good. And now they've got, like, an eight-deep, nine-deep rotation when LeBron gets back with guys that seemingly fit around them. That team's going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem. Like, anyone predict they're not going to make the playoffs, if they're healthy, you're dead wrong. And you get into the yeah. playoffs with that team, anything can happen, including winning the Western Conference. Anything can happen with that team.
4: Listen... um, I wouldn't predict them winning the West. I wouldn't predict a deep playoff run, but they are, I think, indisputably, demonstrably, objectively in a better position to make a playoff run now than they were before the trade deadline. Uh, I, as you know, have been as critical of Rob Palinka as anybody and was critical of the Lakers for sitting on those picks as long as they did. I think there were deals they could have made sooner, right? Like they should have moved off Westbrook last summer. Like they finally cut the cord and now they're, they're of course, you know, employing the usual whisper campaign of there were all these problems and things were even worse than anybody believed. That's probably true. But if it is true, well, that's on you then for not resolving the situation sooner. Maybe it's on Westbrook also for whatever was going on in the locker room and with his, the way he comported himself on the court. That's all fair. And I'm certainly not about to start defending Westbrook in the way uh, he played in L.A. or the way he fit or did not fit. But everybody could see that this was not working before. So I'm still going to say, Lakers, you should have moved a pick or two or whatever it took to to offload Westbrook last summer. And if you could have gotten the pacer package of Heald and Turner then, then you should have done it then. But they... I'm not gonna say that Rob Palenka and the Laker Front Office are vindicated by the trade deadline, but they atoned fairly well the trade deadline by getting the players they did. D'Angelo Russell and Vanderbilt and Beasley, um, even Mobamba, like you upgraded your rotation. Every single one of those guys can play minutes immediately, and in some of those cases, start ahead of guys who were starting before who should not have been NBA starters. Like we did the exercise earlier this season. The problem with the Lakers was outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis, they would start three guys every night who maybe one of them would be a starter somewhere else. Two would be deep bench guys. And on some teams, none of their other three starters would have started for any other decent team in the NBA, a team with playoff hopes. So they took guys who should not have been starters and replaced them with actual starting caliber players. And as a a domino effect, now have guys coming off the bench who are better as 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth men as as opposed to being the 3rd, 4th, 5th men or whatever they were, or 5th, 6th. So they have upgraded. Um, again, scant time left to get everybody kind of in sync with each other. D'Angelo Russell, not a big fan, but he's talented and he can score and he's, he's having a really efficient season. I think he'll be great playing off LeBron. Um, but, you know... Le- I think the biggest concern right now is that LeBron's missed the last couple games since he got the record with an ongoing foot injury that, that is now being said to be something that might bother him the rest of the season. I hope, I, I, wonder, I know he's
5: going to, but I hope he doesn't play the All-Star game. Like, no, I was going
4: to say, I, I was about to say, I, I think we're yeah. going to get one of those like five-minute cameos, right? Like He's going to start the game, he's going to play a little bit, um, they're going to honor him again, they're going to do a ceremony about the, the record, I believe, during All-Star weekend. But yeah, LeBron needs to just take most of the weekend off, and I'm sure he will. Um, but that's got to be their biggest concern now, but I'm with you, Chris LeBron, LeBron James, healthy, Anthony Davis, healthy. And those are big ifs for both of them. Plus this roster, if they had had this roster from day one, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in now. They would be much more solidly in the mix in the playoff field. Uh, we wouldn't be talking about, are they going to be able to make the play in and then make the playoffs? Like this is a, a significantly better group that, uh, Frankly, they should have had from day one. They play Wednesday this week, and then they're not back
5: in a game until next Thursday. That is a full eight days to heal. And as you said, LeBron, whether he plays in the game or not, he's going to take it easy. And nobody knows how to take care of their body better than LeBron James. So he'll spend all-star weekend doing the things he needs to do to get that foot as healthy as it can be. They're going to be a problem. I'm telling you, a big, 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 big problem if LeBron and AD can stay on the floor in the second half of the season. They're going to make the playoffs. Look at the teams above them. Portland's above them. That's not going anywhere. Utah just, you know, dismantled what was left of its team. Oklahoma City is like soft tanking right now. You trade away Mike Lascale and, with apologies to some of my good friends in Oklahoma City, you know, that's you're trading away a guy that was playing a little bit, so you, you, that's a, a. I don't think they want to make the playoffs. I guess I'll put it that way. They don't want to be be in the postseason, and and then you look above them, and it's like Golden State's there, Minnesota's there, the Pelicans are in a free fall right now. Like, I'm comfortable saying this Lakers team is going to make the playoffs, or at the very least, be in the play in, and and should make the playoffs. And if they do, I, I don't know who. Look, like, I look at the top like Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Dallas. That's your top four right now, Howard. Are you picking all four of those teams to beat the Lakers? Like, the Nuggets, you probably would, because the Nuggets have been, you know, the best team in the Western Conference for a while. But Memphis is weird, you know? They go and get Luke Kennard. We'll see what happens if he addresses their three-point shooting issues, or if his defensive deficiencies keep him off the floor. Sacramento, great story, but, you know, I'm not picking Fox and Sabonis against LeBron and AD, that's for sure. And then Dallas, we just talked about. Like, vulnerable in a lot of different ways. Like, that's... The field is open, baby. It's wide well, open, Howard. The bottom four. The bottom four might actually try to be better than the top four. If like Phoenix is in there, the Clippers, the Lakers. <laughs> like, Can you imagine that?
4: Well, I, I expect Phoenix will be in the top four by the time all is said and done. Like They probably displace the Mavericks, don't they? Um, probably, probably. And I probably. haven't looked at strength of schedule for the rest of the season or anything else. But if Durant gets Lakers, back, Lakers,
5: by the way, strength of schedule is bottom third. It's like 24th okay. right now. And that that may change because I think they've had a couple of games with the Suns and those games become exponentially tougher. Maybe sure. we'll finally maybe we'll finally get a KD versus LeBron game. It's been like I think 6 years since one of them. But So if the,
4: uh, yeah, uh, it, look, if the Suns do get KD shortly after All-Star, right? Um and and if and if the fit is as seamless as we expect it should be and, and if their depth issues aren't too bad, they get guys off the buyout market. The Suns should be top 4. That pushes Dallas to 5, Clippers are now 6th. Like that, that group is probably the group that is probably the top six, right? Denver, Memphis, Sac, Dallas, Phoenix, Clippers. That six, in some order, is probably not changing. Um, Zion, we just heard from David Griffin, uh, you know, Pelicans president. Zion's out for at least a few more weeks beyond the All Star break, so that's bad. Um, So I don't, you know, I I thought I thought there was going to be a Pelicans second half revival, and I'm, I'm pretty skeptical of that right now. The Timberwolves, I don't trust at all. The Warriors will see. I'll never rule them out. But you're right. Then we're to tenth. That's the Thunder. Are the like the Lakers right now? Just have to pass the Blazers, Jazz, and Thunder, and now that puts them in the play-in. That's that's should be automatic. And then it's like, okay, do they come out of the play-in? Now you're a seventh or eighth seed, and your first-round matchup is either as, at the moment Denver or Memphis. Maybe by all of a sudden done. Maybe it's Denver and Phoenix at the top. Um, yeah. I look. I. The favorites will be the favorites for a reason. The Lakers will be big underdogs. But if, again, if LeBron and Anthony Davis are healthy with competent supporting cast around them, and now they have some competence around them, I I don't think those teams want to face him. I I really don't. I really don't. And, you know, if they were fortunate enough to somehow draw, you know, a a Dallas or something in the first round, I'd put my money on the Lakers. But that's not going to happen because the Lakers are probably seventh or eighth, and Dallas is not going to be first or second. No, no, they're not. But it it could make for a wild
5: Western Conference playoff bracket, you know, how it all ultimately shakes out.
4: Uh last thing for you, Howard.
5: Dust is settled. We know what these teams are. Most of the bio guys are earmarked for whatever teams are gonna go to. Danny Green to Cleveland. We've mentioned Terrence Ross. Uh he's gonna go to uh, Phoenix. Maverick's gonna get a guy or two. Um, right now, who's your favorite? Not just to win the Western Conference, but the whole thing.
4: I don't think it's changed. I think before the trade deadline, if you'd asked me who are the favorites to win the championship, I'd say it's Celtics or Bucks are the two teams I would I would go with, obviously both out of the East. And I think it's still Celtics and Bucks. I think there's another tier right after them that includes the Suns with Durant there. That includes the Sixers, who have been surging. Um, and that includes the Nuggets. So I think Celtics and Bucks are the top tier of that, that those are the favorites. The next tier is, is um is the Sixers, so one more Eastern Conference team, and then the Suns and Nuggets are somewhere in there. And then I've got a, like, I, took, I, I created another tier of, like, lurking. It's so, like lurking in the West. The Clippers, Warriors, and Grizzlies are, are kind of like my lurking. Like, if things broke right for them and broke badly for the teams that that I named ahead of them, Clippers, Warriors, Grizzlies, you keep an eye on. And then lurking in the East, the Cavs, but it's harder because breaking through the Celtics and Bucks will be harder for the Cavs than, I think, maybe one of the lower teams breaking through in the West.
5: Uh, yeah, I'm with you on the top two. Uh, I lean a little bit towards Boston. Uh, they've been the most complete team all season long. I'll tell you this, though. The Celtics are very nervous about Milwaukee. Milwaukee is the team that makes Boston anxious. Um, the Celtics got Mike Mascala. They really wanted Yaka Pertle. I did some digging on that over the last couple of days. Um, they talked to San Antonio about Pertle, and they were willing to give up a first-round pick to to get him. But the Spurs kind of made the calculation that Toronto's first-round pick is going to be better than Boston's first-round pick, and the Celtics just weren't willing to throw two firsts in there to get Pirtle. And, look, I kind of thought he might just be a rental, but I'm starting to believe that, you know, they would have been able to sign Jakob Pertle. Like, I think they were on kind of the same page with what Jakob Pirtle wanted in terms of his, his wants and what the Celtics were willing to pay, and Jakob Purtle, even though he's been a starter you know, in San Antonio and he'll get the chance to start in Toronto, I think he just wants to be paid as a starter. So, you know, the Celtics, I think, they would feel much better about their chances of beating Milwaukee if they had Jakob Purtle because that front line of the Bucks, you know, you're kind of like one Rob Williams injury away from being in real big trouble. And Rob Williams has had knee issues. Al Horford's 36. Like, I just think they're a little leery about how much they may have to use Luke Cornette and now Mike Pascala on that front line. But even with that, those potential issues, um, if they go into that series healthy, I think the Celtics are a favorite, even if Chris Middleton is playing. So I go Celtics one, Bucks one A or two, and then to me, everybody else is the next tier. You know, it's yeah. however you want to frame it. Phoenix, Denver, Sixers, any of those teams in that mix. There's there's a pretty clear, in my mind, gap right now between Celtics and Bucks and everybody else.
4: I agree, and and I and frankly, I agree with you on the Celtics being the favorite over the Bucks too. Like if they if that seven game series started tomorrow, I would certainly pick the Celtics. Um, not just because of home court, but I just think they they've got better depth. They're just sounder all around. Um, they've got more ways they can go, more ways they can beat you right now. Uh, it's but the, you know the Bucks. You know the respect for them as a as a defending champ, or you know not not long since their championship. Um, veteran cast guys who you know you you know what you're going to get from them i just think the celtics have a little bit more um a little bit more firepower
5: yeah well that conference final should be pretty good if that's the way it ultimately shakes out Uh, howard good stuff man we will do it again next week always
4: a pleasure my friend
0: listen to nba dna with hannah storm on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever